You're listening to Japanese Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington. Welcome to a new episode of JBC Connect. I am really excited to have my friend from the Bay Area here is uh, Reverend Lauren Ying, and uh, I guess soon to be Reverend Doctor um, in a couple of years. But um, there's so much I want to share about Lauren, and it's it's hard to know where to start. So I thought it would be good. Let's just kind of help people who don't know you.、Um, if you could just give a little summary of like who you are and the different worlds that you inhabit. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm really glad to be here, Sam. So thank、mm-hmm. you for the invitation.、Um, so let's see. I am currently living in the San Francisco Bay Area, like you said. Hence the beautiful image behind me.、Um, for those of you who are just listening, it's of the Golden Gate Bridge,、um, and、uh, and I have lived here for gosh almost twenty years now. All three of my children, who are fourteen, twelve, and almost ten, were born out here.、Um, and my husband and I moved out here several years ago for me to go to seminary, actually, at the American Baptist Seminary of the West, which is now called the Berkeley School of Theology.、Um, uh-huh. But I was born and raised in the in Pennsylvania, in southeastern Pennsylvania,、um, in proximity to the headquarters of the American Baptist churches. So when、mm. I tell people that I am literally like ABC, born and bred, I really mean it because I moved.、Um, I was born in that area because my dad used to work at the ABC headquarters for what was then Educational Ministries,、um, mm. and. So I grew up out there in Pennsylvania, like I said,、um, married my high school sweetheart, and then moved out here to the Bay Area, and we've been here ever since.、Mm. Um, couple of different things that I've done,、uh, as I said, I grew up in the denomination, so have worked for our international ministries、um, program board, had interned at Judson Press, which is our publishing arm,、um, and now I'm currently serving as the director of leadership empowerment at the American Baptist Home Mission Society. So. In that space, I convene a、um, a team of uh, leadership uh, experts. One of them is doing work in chaplaincy and specialized ministries. Another one、uh, is doing work with financial empowerment. Um, you know how to have financially healthy congregations and pastors and communities.、Um, another team member、uh, works with scholarships and students and emerging leaders. And then the work that I am uniquely called to is around. Um, innovative models of ministry and missional entrepreneurs, which we can definitely talk about later.、Mm-hmm. I could go on and on about that.、Um, so currently, yeah, in the Bay Area with my husband, my three kids, doing the homeschool thing, like so many other families and parents are doing.、Um, and I'm also pursuing a Doctor of Ministry degree right now at Central Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas. So I'm in、uh, one year in, as you were saying, you said a doctor soon. Guess it depends on how you measure time, but yeah, right now it feels far away. But two years from now, right? And what what are you pursuing in your studies again? So the doctor that they offer, the doctor of ministry degree they offer, is um, in um, creative leadership.、Mm. So it's perfect. It fits exactly with、yeah. what I'm working at、um, at ABHMS.、Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're studying everything from you know developing our own theology of self care. To you know, what does it look like to design your own、um, innovative leadership practice? And we'll be diving into things like human-centered design and just a, a lot of different、uh, entry points for thinking about leadership in the 21st century church. Wow, there's so much good、yeah. stuff in this.、Um, I don't even know where to start, but you know, I'm going to actually just try and、um, 
remember what I originally wanted to talk about. So uh, one thing that was really helpful for me, uh, Lauren, you're actually one of the first people I met when I became an American Baptist because I came from another denomination. And I have to admit the, the culture and the ethos and the structure of American Baptist is like, unlike anything I've seen before. Cause like I was in a Methodist church for a while. My dad's Presbyterian. Uh, so I'm very yeah. much, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm more into like, I'm more familiar with like a, a denominational hierarchical structures and yeah. that's the exact opposite of American Baptist. So like he really helped me kind of navigate that first year that was very confusing for me. I think but, I um, tried drawing you like an illustration and I was yeah. like, yeah, no, I can't even draw it. It doesn't really work that Well, way. no, you know, you said something that I never forgot. And I actually say okay. that to people who helps help me understand. And you said it like an offhand comment, but it was great. He's like, Sam, you know, I think you're kind of like me. And I think what you're trying to do is like, you're trying to make a, a flow chart in your head, how everything will connect together. And then it all makes sense. And she said, you have to let that go. Yeah. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> <It's a flow chart. laughs> I was like, what? I mean, that's what I do. And when I let that go, um, and then you said, it's more about um, like communities and connections and, um, and partnerships like uh, like villages in a way. And once I began to kind of like realize this decentralized model of mm -hmm. uh, like Baptist uh, connectionalism, um, I think that really just opened my eyes and it helped me yeah. really move nice. forward. So it was it was kind of like a, you're, and you're saying it in jest in a way too, <laughs> but it was actually really profound. It was a profound moment for me. And I still haven't forget forgotten it to this moment. So maybe we could go, um, Further with this, knowing that my understanding of Baptist is like, it's so diverse because it's really defined by the people, right? Uh, it's mm -hmm. every congregation defines themselves, which I think is beautiful. There's a lot of freedom in that. And Baptists are about this um, freedom of uh, determination. But mm -hmm. um, so where do you, in having such a decentralized group, where does the American Baptist Home Mission Society work? Because you're actually serving mm -hmm. this like, yeah. whole group in a way like you're trying to be like a central figure in a very decentralized group. So tell me a bit just yeah. like for an intro intro explanation, like what is what what is it uh, that your organization does and what does it represent? Yeah, absolutely. So the American Baptist Home Mission Societies um, is sort of like the, the national ministries program arm of the denomination. So it encompasses all of our partners and ministries being done throughout the United States and Puerto Rico. Um, and then our friends at International Ministries, obviously, are, are helping us lead the way with our work um, with international partners. Um, so that, I, I, that says a lot. That sounds very broad, um, what I just said. But really what I, I would say um, our role as a program board is, is to convene and connect people. So, you know, I think that there was a time, and I, I remember this actually as a kid growing up in the denomination. There was a time... Um, you know, when denominational life looked a lot different. In fact, when the church's role in society looked a lot different. Mm -hmm. And local churches and other partners would really look to the national denomination for discernment um, of ministry direction, uh, for all the training needs and all their resource needs. And that's really not what the mission society that's gonna thrive in the 21st century uh, really should look like. And so our role um, at ABHMS is to say, look, yes, there are ministries that we sort of spearhead, for lack of a better word, um, and invite our partners to, to um, collaborate with us on those ministries. 
But by and large, our we see our role as uh, identifying all of our local churches, our regional partners, our um, theological ed- uh, institutions and colleges and universities, all those community groups, and saying, how can we help you all connect the dots? How can we all help, you know, whether it's making introductions and Sam, you know that this is something that I do with you all the time. You'll get random emails from me like, hey, it's Lauren again. I really think you should talk to blank. Um, But that's just a small example of kind of what we do um, because we are privileged at the national level to kind of have a broad view of all of the wonderful things that are going on um, with our partners. And so to be able to convene and connect for greater impact, I mean, deeper impact, you know, if we are, if we remain in our silos of ministry, we can impact the community in a localized area. But if we begin to think broader and more collaboratively, um, we have the potential to uh, impact our communities even more um, mm-hmm. for the sake of God's kingdom. So, um, so that's our primary role. Uh, you know, we, when you ask about kind of, you know, how does that situate itself within the greater universe of ABC? Um, we talked about there really is no flow chart for it. And the image that came to my mind when you were just reminding me of that is sort of like the the galaxy. Like Mm. in the galaxy, there are all these planets and suns and stars and moons. And there are connections like constellations. You know, there are places Mm -hmm. where things are connected and lines can be drawn. Um, But everything is kind of existing in its, in its, in its own way with its own soul liberty. I mean, you started bringing up things about Baptist principles, right? So we believe in all that. Um, But then there are all these opportunities for how we are still a family um, that's seeking to kind of, you know, be in harmony with one another, um, pursue unity and collaboration. Mm -hmm. So this is is really very fascinating because, um, you know, having many different perspectives of different denominations and have studying, different like ecclesiology, um, you, you feel like those kind of more hierarchical uh, structures, right? Um, they're just not adaptable. And a lot of what we're finding with like a lot of the mainline churches is that they're really struggling to stay relevant or to pivot with the times, right? right. Uh, because they have these really entrenched things where like there's so much gatekeeping, there's so much curation, there's so much like um, direction and like mm-hmm. oversight that, mm-hmm. um, to make any like serious systemic change is going to take a lot of work, right? And uh, right. and so we're seeing this with some of these major denominations, right? When they're facing major like controversies or whatever, like the UMC oh, and mm-hmm. yeah, exactly, right? Which I was uh, very much a part of. And mm-hmm. so when you have to make those systemic changes, it's going to be so difficult and painful and slow because you have all these sure. things in place. But it's yeah. interesting is like the Baptist Church is kind of uniquely designed, like for these times in a way, right? Because I feel like these times, it's all about pivoting quickly, right? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to have this this um, is very trusting philosophy. I mean, it's, it's much more risky, of course, right? Because you're, you're, you're trusting right. others. You're not imposing yourself on others. You have to work together. Even, and you may not even like what they're doing, right? But mm-hmm. how are we like um, coming together and empowering each other? Um, mm-hmm. I feel like it's just very relevant and it's weird. It's like, I think some people might have looked back at the Baptists and thought like, you know, you guys got to get your stuff together. You got to centralize and do this and that. Too autonomous. But, you're too autonomous. Yeah, yeah. You're too scattered. And, you know, like you're, but now it's kind of like, oh gosh, I wish we were like you. I bet people are looking at it. Um, it's it's weird. It's like, um, 
it's become cutting edge all of a sudden, I, I think. That's it's, interesting. Uh, I mean, I, I hadn't really thought about ABC as kind of a case study for these times, but I think you're, you're onto something. Uh, certainly in a more hierarchical structure or system, like you said, right. you know, it become, it can become quite cumbersome um, and harder, like you said, to kind of, you know, have that adaptability and flexibility built in mm -hmm. uh, to be able to pivot and rethink and reposition oneself based on the, the, the factors, right? The, the contextual factors. Um, but as you said, uh, risk is, is definitely present. And I think um, a challenge to continue pursuing unity uh, it is, is a challenge. We, you know, all American Baptists, you know, are on the same page with the, the, the core Baptist principles for sure. Um, and a desire on most parts to, to be in one family, you know, working together in one family, um, in that same spirit. Uh, but that can be challenging because even though in the hierarchical structures that are more systemically cumbersome, you know, it, it the lines are very clear. It's like, you're in or you're out. You're a member yeah. or you're not. Um, yeah. You're following the rules or you aren't. Um, you're mm -hmm. paying your mission dollars and giving or you're mm -hmm. not. Yeah. Um, and so ABC being a looser system, uh, one of the books that I recently read, Gil Rendell um, wrote a book called uh, Quietly Courageous, talks about loose versus tight systems. Mm -hmm. And for sure, to be adaptable um, in a context like we find ourselves in now, the looser the system, uh, the more opportunity um, is mm -hmm. latent in that system. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it can be uncomfortable. It can be very uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. And I yeah. think this is really relevant because like, this is what I'm experiencing, like as just like a local small church pastor is that um, I think uh, the amount of adaptability and like fluidity and like flexibility that is required right now in ministry is like unprecedented, right? Like I feel like the only ones who are going to make it are the ones who are willing to like deconstruct and reconstruct on the fly. You know, mm. and um, it's I think the COVID times have just really exacerbated all of this. Right. Because, um, you know, we're not we can't do church the normal way. So the people who can pivot the fastest are going to be the ones who are going to get through this better. But then it's also like um, COVID times have also exposed like systemic issues and problems with our society. Mm -hmm. And so um, all this brokenness that we're being exposed to. Right. Like it's only the ones who can really pivot quickly to actually address the needs and, and make corrections, right. Um, that are going to be relevant in this very important time. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do that if you're really entrenched in like a really like tight system, like you're saying. Right. So, um, I think it's like a lot of profound opportunity, um, for American Baptists, but it's really difficult because like you had said, I mean, I'm learning, right? Theologically, American Baptists, like they're so diverse, like they're all over the place, very, right? Very, um, very. Uh, the which conduct... means you can always find a home. You can always yeah, find a theological yes. home too, which is great. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the good spin. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you put that in. <laughs> but, um, you know, and as an outsider, I just thought like, okay, well, I guess there's Southern Baptists and there's other Baptists. That's how I thought of it from the outside, right? But now I'm like, oh no, it's it's way more complicated than that. Yeah. And, you can even argue even amongst Southern Baptists, even though they do have more qualifiers of like how you're quote a part of them, they are also diverse um, Very, yes. in many ways. So mm -hmm. um, yeah. it's, it's kind of a messy thing. Well, so you know, can I say something, can I say yeah. something before you move on about what you were yeah. talking about as far as 
adaptive leaders being more able to pivot in this time. Mm -hmm. I think the church needs both. I think the church, another Mm. book I was just reading, one of the benefits of being in a doctoral program is I'm reading a lot. Another book that I'm reading is talking about the difference between a manager and a leader Mm. and explaining that actually systems and organizations need both. Um, Mm. You know, a manager is somebody who, who, who manages, who, who helps maintain the things that the, some of the core values and the core principles and the things that make it an organization or a church tick. And a leader is somebody who says, this is what can be or what should be or what will be, and is always kind of urging people to move forward. And I think that's kind of the leader that you were describing there, Sam. But I really think that the church needs both um, because there aren't just two camps of people. There, aren't, there isn't a camp of people who are like stuck in the mud, don't ever want to change. And then the kind of people who are like, I'm always willing to change and I'm, I'm a flying by the seat of our, our, my pants type person. I think every human has both of those things residing in them um, because this author makes the point, nobody's a, no one is, has like a distaste for change. They have a distaste for loss because if someone's going to hand you a check for a million dollars, you'll welcome that change, right? But it's really the sense of loss yeah. that people have grief over. So mm-hmm. I see kind of that, that desire for comfortability and familiarity as well as the desire for positive change where loss is mitigated Mm. in residing in every individual. So Mm -hmm. for a pastor, what that could mean is, you know, just as much time as you spend casting a, a innovative vision for what the church needs to be, what JBC should start to do to pivot in these times, just as much time should be spent either by you or other persons, other leaders in the church, holding the hands of people to say, but let's talk about what shouldn't change. Let's talk about the things that make JBC, JBC, regardless of mm-hmm. pandemic or not. And how do we preserve and hold on to those things so that mm-hmm. wherever we move from here, we don't lose those parts of our core identity. Yeah. So I think one of the, the greatest challenges for leaders today would be to say, I'm only going to do one or the other versus saying I, or at least the team that I, I, I convene around that I build around me to help support the leadership of this organization are really going to be doing both. Um, mm. You know. Wow, that's that's really great. That's very profound, uh, and that's 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 really encouraging. So, I mean, just talking a bit now personally about pastoring for <laughs> me, like I've been stressed because I feel like I can't pivot fast enough. Like I'm always like, um, and I can't. And so it's interesting you just mentioned what you did because my last <laughs> Sunday sermon was really what you just said. The last part about like, I was trying to say like. Um, let's not forget, like, these are the things we've always been doing. Let's yeah. go back to it because I've been exhausted. Like, frankly, these past years, like I've been, I've, I've learned about like revamping a website, learning about like broadcast technology and all this stuff. And like all these skill sets that I didn't think I needed to this level. Like I am like crash coursing all the time about something lately. Yeah. And so um, sometimes you feel like, oh man, but it's still not enough. Right. And so I've been feeling like exhausted. So like I have been actually feeling bad that I'm not um, catching up fast enough, right? With some of like my other peers, mm-hmm. but um, that's really encouraging to hear because I also know some of my other peers who are maybe of a different generation, mm-hmm. like some who are close to retirement, they're like, uh, we don't have a website, like we can't do this. Like, but like, they're almost like invalidating their ministry right now. Mm. But, you know, I think what you're saying is a real good balancing profound thing. It's like, it's not about changing as much as um, uh, shepherding people through loss, right? Like just 
Yeah, and right. I think that's a really profound perspective. Um, right. I'm like processing yeah, that, this in real time. That that's same really author, yeah. you know, talks about, and I'll, I'll just say it's it's Heifetz from the book Adaptive Leadership in case people want to look it up. But, you know, that same author talks about the um, a, a leader being somebody who can shepherd, to use your word, um, a group of people through change at a, at a, at a rate that they can absorb. Mm, right, so it's not right. about just, you know, so, and I think you're a great litmus test for that as the pastor. Like if you are feeling that the rate of absorption is way too rapid that like, I can't even keep up, you know, I'm a mm -hmm. Gen Xer who can't keep up, you know, with the technological advances required of, of me and of the church right now, then imagine what some of the boomers and some of the silent generation are feeling in the church. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you lead with reckless abandon, mm -hmm. not looking to see if those who are behind you are managing at a rate of change that they can absorb properly, then you're gonna lead yourself into this amazing innovative place and then turn around and no one's gonna be standing there with you. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to slow down. I mean, the, the pace of our world is so rapid right now. And, and you know, gosh, I mean, we could go on and on about that. That would take us down a whole nother road, Sam, but like, you know, something happens and boom, everyone knows about it. Now that I have a ninth grader, I find out most of my news from her, you know, mm. uh, you talked about race. I didn't, I hadn't heard about Daniel Prude until that morning when the, the video footage um, was, was released, but she was the one who sent me a change.org petition to sign by text. Mm. So mm -hmm. I'm learning about important critical news in our nation and world from my ninth grader because she's so plugged in. So it's mm. impossible to kind of keep up um, with that pace. So while we do need to be informed, we need to make, mm -hmm. you know, um, timely decisions um, for the sake of our communities. Mm -hmm. um, it's okay to just kind of say, what's the rate of absorption for change that that our people at JBC can manage? Because if you if if we can't mm -hmm. if we can't you know lead through change at that rate, then it's kind of mm. moot. <laughs> yeah, no, this is actually. This is very relevant. It's interesting because like, you know, um, for our listeners, uh, Laura and I actually really haven't had an extended conversation for like maybe a year or something. So like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like we're, we're actually catching up as we're talking on this interview. Um, mm -hmm. But a lot of what you're saying is very interesting because, you know, we had a town hall recently and there was a handful of folks who, who, who felt very confident we can open safely and do this and that. But um, we just didn't have the confidence of the group after doing a survey and checking in. And so yeah. I told people like, you know, the timeline of JBC is not going to be the timeline of Washington state. Like we have like this yes. thing called uh, phases of opening, uh, like phase four would be the closest return to real life, quote unquote, that we remembered from before. But I said, just because Washington state is in phase four, that doesn't mean JBC has to be phase four. Cause um, I was, so actually, what we're doing, what we come down on is like, we're going to be, we're not coming into the building for a while. Um, Cause we do have a large number who are, are seniors. And um, even though maybe medically it could be safe in some ways, like we could have signups, make sure we have checkpoints and everything. There's also not like an emotional yes. uh, mental thing that we have to really account for. It's like, if you're just not ready, you're not ready that's fine and like you know just take your time um so but because of that we've had to kind of scramble to adjust well okay we're going to be like this for the long haul so we have to get some structures in place too so that was where 
it was kind of like this fast slow for me. It was like, okay, yeah, now that yeah. we've decided we're not coming in here, how are we going to accommodate this to all these people? So there had to be all this stuff like prepared, like we're going to have to figure out how people can broadcast. How can we get people like safely feeling like they're, they're experiencing worship together. But the same, the other, in the other way though, like, um, I'm telling like my friends like, Hey, you know what? I know your church isn't re-entry plan, but like we have a different timeline and we're going to take a long time. Like yes, I said, foreseeably, we're not going to be fully coming back in the building till next year, like mm-hmm. mid, maybe later. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, I mean, and that's I, a, that's a, yeah. those are personal choices that, that you, yeah. you are, you are doing your community well and shepherding them by really mm-hmm. taking the time to understand where people are. Yeah. And what what works best for for your community. And it can be very yeah. difficult to kind of hold on to that when you see the rest of the world trying to kind of fast forward um, around you, you know. Right. And that brought me to like this other thing that you're saying is that um, we equate so much with change with speed. Right. Like there's yeah. some kind of implicit connection is like change when change happens, change must be fast mm-hmm. or it's not working properly. And like. Cause like, I think it's like this whole pursuit of efficiency and maximizing. Um, and then you're talking about how now that we have such real time access to information, like we've never had before, I think it just keeps accelerating uh, this pressure that, and, and it comes into the culture of the church. Um, yes. Like and those it, technical yeah. fixes are never gonna, those technical fixes of like, yeah. well, let's just come back to church on Sunday. Let's open the doors. Right. Um, there's nothing wrong with those technical fixes and those technical right. kind of advance, you know, progress decisions that are made towards towards progress or getting back to, like you said, closer to what things used to be. Yeah. But they're not what we run the risk of doing is pursuing technical fixes to address what's a much more underlying adaptive challenge. Or right. Problem, right. Right. Which is mm-hmm. that the world has has changed in a way <laughs> that mm-hmm. is so significant. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no going back to, I mean, you and I both put those qualifiers on it close to what things used to be. Cause we both right. know very well, just like the yeah. next person does that it will never go back to yeah. the way it was before. Right. So right. people are, we're all trying to digest that and manage mm-hmm. like this huge paradigm shift to the, mm-hmm. the way we know life to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it can be very tempting to just mm-hmm. make those technical fixes to try to get back to what was versus right. saying, how do we address this underlying challenge of the world has changed profoundly? Yeah, that's and that's a great away. framing. That's a really great framing because I think a lot of the urgency for people to return isn't just about like health and safety. It's about, I just want to go back as fast as possible to what I remember. And it's like, but you realize if you get everything that you want, you're not actually going to get back to where you think you're going, you know? Yeah. So you may as well like try and find a lasting solution going forward not trying to get backwards as fast as possible right like Correct. and i i think that's that's a really great um phrasing of it i mean even um, physically if we can get back to close to what we were physically in the way that we relate to one another in a physical space shared yeah. physical space it doesn't change the fact that spiritually emotionally mentally you know yeah we've lost mm-hmm. almost two hundred thousand lives in this country yeah. you know mm-hmm. we we've mm-hmm. we've we've been reawakened to the issues of systemic racism you know in mm-hmm. our nation mm-hmm. um you know our, our kids are for better or worse like you were talking about eden and i've said this about my kids you know they're living in a world just so different than what we lived in and, and they'll mm-hmm. be 
resilient as a result. There's positive aspects to that. But, mm-hmm. you know, even if we can come back and sit next to each other, like right next to each other without masks on, mm-hmm. all that other stuff is still there and has, mm-hmm. has shaped us, you know, as individuals mm-hmm. and as a community. And so yeah. we're different coming out of this than yeah. we were going in. Yeah. 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 And that's the kind of like the mystery, right? Like, I think we can only do it a day at a time, but like, I, I wrestle with this is that, you know, um, paradigm shifts are nothing new to the church, right? I mean, it's always gone like the, the church that the history of the church has always been marked by uh, upheaval, just like complete, you know, upending of reality, right? It's just yeah. what church does, right? But then so in a way, this is nothing new. Like the church is profoundly resilient. I think it's much more resilient than people give it credit. But at the same time, we are in something unprecedented and we are going into very uncharted territories. Like I do feel that in some ways I can't do church how I've gotten used to like the past 15 years. Um, but in other ways, I have to just be really faithful to what I've been doing for the past 15 years, you know? So yeah. it's this weird paradox. Um, and I think you, you were very like articulate and kind of like um, explaining all of that, but I guess that's, that's probably a better way of framing it, isn't it? Is that um, the best way for us to go forward is to kind of hold two together in tension mm-hmm. and um, uh, don't change, but, be really flexible, you know, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Well, that's great. So yeah. I guess I'm more confused than ever from this podcast. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Lauren. You're welcome. Jeez. Man. Try putting that in the flow chart. I know there's, there's no <laughs> flow chart for that one for sure. Um, so I thought, so I love talking about this kind of stuff. This stuff is so fascinating. I mean, this is your world, right? Like, I mean, I think you really inhabit it and um, I always enjoy these conversations. So I've noticed this interesting thread, like you've, like you've been in many different contexts, right? You've been in different mm-hmm. cities, but I, I noticed like when I do talk with you, the, the, the brief times I get to, there seems to be these kind of um, common threads of um, creativity and innovation. They're always kind of like hand in hand with you. Like, um, uh, like, I think you didn't mention also that you're like, you're a part of a band, right? Like you're the yeah. bass player and vocalist, uh, Whisper Fight. You can find that yes. Thank streaming you. services everywhere. <laughs> Just plugging you there. Um, and uh, I mean, that's a fun common point because, you know, I record and produce music too. This is uh, what we first bonded over, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But then it's interesting is that this creative spirit you have is very multifaceted. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. not just limited to like one genre. Like, you know, I think your academia is very creative as well, right? And um, what you're doing, the ADHMS is like very much like finding innovators and creators. So I remember a mentor kind of saying like, what's the golden thread in your life? You know, like it's always Mm -hmm. important for you to ask yourself like, what are these golden threads? And so how do you see uh, creativity and innovation and and leadership? I feel like that's all just Mm -hmm. this very interesting pot. Like how do you see that all working out in your unique life? Yeah, that's a great question. And I love the golden thread idea. And I, I'm already going to commit to kind of doing more work on that and thinking Mm. through those things you just mentioned, leadership, creativity, and innovation, and kind of, at least in my mind, drawing pictorially how -hmm. those three threads, maybe Mm -hmm. intertwined as one chord, (laughs) have made their way through my life. Um, So that's really helpful. I appreciate that. It's a gift for me. Um, I mean, I, I can tell a couple stories that might uh, yeah. add some richness to this conversation. One is that um, 
when I was a little girl, um, I, so, you know, I'm Chinese American, um, one and a half generation. My, my dad, uh, American, my dad was born here in Boston, but his siblings were not. My mother was born in Singapore. So, um, kind of in between, but you know, there's a joke within Asian American communities that they don't call us Bijans for a reason. They call us Asians cause we all get straight A's. So that was, <laughs> they don't call us Bijans. Okay. So you know, growing up in southeastern Pennsylvania as, a, as one of the few Chinese American, you know, families, right. um, my parents did not have that sort of stereotypical pressure on me to get straight A's. I mean, they, they wanted me uh, to do well, but right. they did not, you know, I wasn't being told to be a lawyer or a doctor um, uh, or an engineer. And, uh -huh. um, you know, I got to pick an instrument in fourth grade and I chose saxophones. I wasn't forced to play clarinet or a string instrument like my, or right. piano. <laughs> You know, right. any, any of those stereotypical things. Right, right. But what I do remember is that my parents, especially my dad, used to say, okay, so on our report cards, you know, you have your letter grades. And then there were these, there was a key on the bottom that had different mm -hmm. num different digits associated with characteristics. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember what all, you know, what some of them are like, you know, is respectful, um, works mm -hmm. well with others. But number right. five was exhibits yeah. leadership skills. Uh -huh. And my dad would say, I don't care if you come back with all A's or not but I want to see number fives all over your report card. Oh, interesting. So interesting. I would work at that. And I think he, huh. I think somewhere deep down, he knew that as a, you know, one and a half generation American, Chinese American huh. growing up in a very uh, homogeneously white neighborhood, yeah. um, that leadership and that sort of uh, ability to, to, to speak up and, and, and contribute your voice to a space wasn't going to come really naturally. Uh, you mm. know, the, the environment wasn't going to be super conducive to that. So mm -hmm. he kind of was helping push me along to say, I want you to demonstrate leadership where you can. And mm -hmm. so I would proudly come home with my report card that had, you know, B's, <laughs> maybe a couple C pluses, um, and would have number fives on there. Uh -huh. So so that's just kind of one illustration. I, I can't really unpack yeah. the whole thing now, yeah. but I, I'll just kind of leave that there. Well, no, that's um, great. And, you know, I want to just uh, mention yeah. to your uh, to the listeners, uh, if they don't know, like um, Lauren's father, Don Ng, like if you know the history of like Asian Americans and the Baptist mm -hmm. movement, like he's a very significant figure. Like mm -hmm. if I talk about anything related to like Asian Americans and like the movement of their voice in the Baptist tradition, um, you know, Don would definitely be in there. So um, I think it's very, and so he's very much an influencer and he actually, um, he's very prolific. I think the more I learn about like what he's done and where, what, yeah. what he's, he's, he's been everywhere. And so I guess it makes sense that um, his daughter is kind of that same vein, but it was interesting um, to share another story to add richness, mm -hmm. I guess, to add to what you're saying, like we were discussing the more I was learning about Don at this uh, colloquium I was at, um, he was like mentioning, yeah, yeah, like Lauren's, yeah, very much like me, but uh, honestly, like she's way more polished than me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think he was kind of referring it to like, uh, yeah, she's like uh, the next nice. level improvement. So it kind of, but he was very pleased because like, I think you're really yeah. like continuing that spirit that he wants to mm -hmm. do as well about mm -hmm. being a voice, like an advocate and um, mm -hmm. bringing about change. Well, so thanks for sharing I, that. I mean, don't, that's all what we all want for our children too, right? Is right. That they will be even more and better than we yeah. were. And he, he, both my parents, um, but my dad, because we both move in this ABC kind of denominational life together, right. um, he is, as you said, I mean, he's, 
I, I'm blessed that he, you know, has also set up the feet with or, or collaborated and worked with, you know, the likes of Yosh and Herb and James mm -hmm. Chuck and things like that, of that wonderful generation of, of mentors and leaders. Um, but there was another time that he and I were attending this event together. It was sort of like a meet and greet of people to know, professionals to know in the county that we both live in here in California. And he did the registration for us. And so my dad and I went, this was years ago, went out to dinner, then went to this lecture. And as we walked into the registration table, they said, you know, what are your names? And we'll get you your name tag. And I look at the name tags and his says Don Ng and mine says Reverend Lauren Ng. And I said, dad, why you registered us? Why did you do that? He said, I'm a man uh -huh. in my sixties. Uh -huh. um, you know, that type of respect is going to be given to me based on my gender and my age. Uh, you as a young Asian woman are not going to have that kind of respect conferred upon you by nature. And I ju you know, just naturally, and I want people to know who you are, that you're professional, that you're well-educated, that you're learned, um, and that mm -hmm. you have the right to be here with all of these other people. And I was like, you know, that's just my dad. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a great example of that. But um, That's beautiful. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, you know, it, yeah. it's I've seen him in person. He's he's all about that. He's so thoughtful, yeah. so wise in that way. And yeah, um, very blessed. And uh, I I think that's just a really great um, picture of how you know sometimes like we're told like you know if you're an underdog, the underdog has just got to keep fighting, keep fighting, keep fighting, right? But like what underdogs really need are advocates, right? Like yeah. people who shoulders to stand them. on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like people mm -hmm. who can open doors for you, right? And I right. think sometimes like in and then, you know, we're talking about leadership and stuff like, you know, the, the strongest leaders aren't the ones who are like telling the people under them to work harder. It's like the leaders are the ones like opening the doors for them to like flourish yes. and to thrive. Yes, and, absolutely. Um, I, th I think, um, I mean, that story is just like a perfect encapsulation of that, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah I have so much more. <laughs> you know, I thought I wanted to talk about more, but now that we've had this conversation i want to talk about even more than that okay so i am i'm extremely frustrated uh but I, you know what i think this is a good place to pause i'm going to pause okay. here because we talked about such important things i don't want them to get lost in a mountain of content but um i have said this to many guests but i really do mean it i think we're going to have to meet more often maybe regularly or maybe I'll just start a show. You want to just do that, Lauren? I feel like we could just start <laughs> yeah, a show. I'll just do it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do like, I don't know, the, the West Coast Baptist show or something like that. Yeah, we'll, just, we'll just go great. up and down the coast interviewing <laughs> Baptist people or something like that. Um, I love it. Yeah, cool. Uh, this has been such a treat. I really appreciate it. And um, you gave me so much food for thought. I'm actually going to shut off the recording and then I'm okay. going to listen to this and like meditate on it some more. But uh, Lots of lots awesome. of good words being shared here. Awesome. So. so good to be here with you. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. And um, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, I think this one deserves a couple of extra listens because there's a lot in it. So uh, thank you for your time. And uh, we'll see you at the next episode. So thank you, Lauren. Thank you.